Amen. City Church, you may be seated. Welcome. I am so glad you're here. The Christmas season, let me just tell you, is it's my favorite season. I am that weird person that my favorite part of the year is winter. Uh, I grew up in Florida where the actual temperature is about like hell in the winter. So I like the cold weather. I like to get away from it and I never want to go back. But more than that, I just love the joy that Christmas brings, the smile on my kids' faces, the the time that we have to worship, the Christmas trees. I love all of the season, and I love what Advent means. You know, if you're new to Christianity, Advent is essentially the, the coming of our King. It's preparing our hearts. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a long time and you're used to liturgical churches, let me just tell you, we don't really follow a strict Advent calendar, but we do capture the essence of what Advent is. Advent is all about getting your hearts right. It's about slowing down for a couple weeks in anticipation for Christmas to remember, to remember the narrative and connect all the dots. See, Advent's about hope. Advent's about understanding the Christmas story so you can live in light of what Jesus has done. One commentator, one commentator said that Advent... Advent means that death and disease, despair, drug addiction, homelessness, murder, hate, war, orphanhood, poverty, hunger, thirst, tears, and grief have an expiration date. He said these are not the original intention of this world, and they will not see the dawn of new creation. More than anything, Advent is about Jesus come to recreate this broken world. Our Savior breaks into the silence to enter into our brokenness in order that you and I could be redeemed back into the world the way that it was supposed to be. Y'all, the Christmas story takes a bit of faith, doesn't it? If we're honest with all of us, it, it, it is a leap of faith out of the reality of what we experience every single day. But let me just tell you, all of us have faith in something. All of us do, whether we admit it or not. We all put our faith in some things. The question that we have is, is our faith reasonable? See, all of us believe in miracles. All of us believe that things happen, that people get healed. All of us put our faith in some things. The question is, is are you putting your faith in the most reasonable thing? Like, did you know that there have been seven people in human history that have free fallen from more than 10,000 feet out of an airplane without a parachute and survived? You wouldn't believe it if I just told you that, but let me, give you a few, let me give you a few examples or a few stories of this. In 1943, a man fell out of a B-17 bomber over France and fell 22,000 feet and survived. Just to put that into perspective, that's over four miles. He fell through a glass ceiling in a train station and survived on Christmas Eve in 1971. Since we're in Advent, let's tell a Christmas story. A, a lady named Juliana Cupcake boarded a flight out of the Amazon rainforest to go home for Christmas. She got to about 10,000 feet when lightning struck the plane, and the plane went into a tailspin and literally ejected her from the plane, still strapped to her chair. Now, that's the first time in my entire life that I've heard a rational explanation for why I should have my seatbelt on on an airplane at 10,000 feet. Well, she stayed stuck to her chair, passed out. The chair hit the trees, um, broke her fall. She woke up the next day. Then she had to trek through the Amazon rainforest for 14 days until she was ultimately rescued. You talk about a fortunate lady. Now, here's the craziest one of all. 
The Guinness Book of World Records say that the longest free fall without a parachute in surviving is 33,300 feet by a Russian lady named Visna, who was the lone survivor of a plane that was shot at over the Czech Republic where she landed in a bunch of snow. Y'all, the impossible happens all the time. People, people are miraculously healed from cancer. People survive um, car accidents that seem to be unsurvivable. People wake up from comas. Just this summer, my wife was told that there was a 99% chance that our son would not make it past 26 weeks. You guys prayed and the miraculous happened. He stayed in her womb for another two months, survived that period of time, and he was born at 34 weeks, spent a couple weeks in the NICU, and now he is a healthy six-month-old baby that is thriving in every way. Don't tell me that miracles don't happen all the time. See, maybe you've come in here a skeptic. I get that. Like you come to Christmas because that's what you're told to do. You, you walk through the season. Maybe you've grown up in Christianity, but there's this hinge in the back of your mind that just tells you that it seems unbelievable. I want to challenge you over the next couple weeks to suspend, to suspend your, your thoughts and just ask yourself the question, is what I put my faith in more reasonable than the faith of Christianity? Like macroevolution that most of us put our faith in, is that a more reasonable faith than the one that I'm putting my faith in? I want to ask you over the next couple weeks, if you're a skeptic, to do what Tim Keller says. Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Could you be wrong? Are you willing to explore and ask yourself the question? Maybe, Maybe you're here today. And you're like my friend Chris, who called me last night and asked me to pray for his mom after she got a bad prognosis of her cancer. Maybe you just need a miracle. Maybe you're sitting here today and you are that one without hope. Here's what I want to give you over the Advent seasons. I want to give you hope. Because if Jesus really entered into this world, if he really is who he said that he is, then it changes the entire narrative. And it changes your hope for the future. See, no matter where you are today, no matter if you're the skeptic or you are the staunch Christian or you are the one who just needs hope, here's what I think the Christmas story will give you is hope and it is worth exploring. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Christmas story of the next couple weeks in the most unlikely of places. We're going to do it in the Gospel of John. It's the only gospel that doesn't mention Jesus' birth. But I think if you dig underneath the surface, you see the most beautiful explanation of who Jesus is. So would you open with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 1. Here's what John says. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Y'all, this is the most amazing statement ever made because it is the most condensed, consolidated picture of the entire Bible. John, John is trying to connect your dots back to an event that happened at the beginning of the Bible. Matter of fact, it's a literary device that they call adumbration, which is when you hear this, it automatically takes your mind back to another scene. The other scene should be Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. John is doing this with intentionality. He's showing you that the one who was in the beginning wasn't just a thing, but a person. You'll see this in verse 2 where he says, in the beginning was God. He was with God. That word there that was in the beginning, that's why it's capitalized in your Bible. That word is the word logos in Greek, and it literally means reason or person of logic was in the beginning. So anytime as we go through this study that you see the word he or word, just substitute it for Jesus and listen to what it says. Show it to him. 
In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and he was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome Jesus. See, the Christmas story isn't just some cute story about a baby in a manger uh, born in some obscure town in Palestine 2,000 years ago. It is about recreation. It's about God breaking into history and continuing the story the way that it was always meant to be. Y'all, the thing that makes Christianity different than every other religion that has ever existed is that Christianity is historically verifiable. Here's what I mean by that. It means that God entered into history 2,000 years ago. He literally became a person. He lived in a real place at a real time, and he lived a real life. There is no other religion on the planet that puts God in the middle of history. Christianity is different because Christianity says you can check. You can go back. You can go to the sources, and you can see that the claims that Jesus made are historically verifiable. But Jesus' story doesn't start in Bethlehem. It starts where... All good, all good stories start, doesn't it? In the beginning. Now, here's what's interesting. That word in the beginning, it actually means before the beginning. It's a picture of God eternally existing. It's what John wants you to know is that the Christmas story is so different than every other story because Jesus isn't just a man like you and I, and he's not just God. The thing that makes the Christmas story different is that Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is holy and transcendent, and yet he is personal and loving. So you're going to see this, but let it sink in for just a second. The one who created, the, one, the way the Genesis says, the one who spoke and the, the galaxies came into existence, the one who created you and, and breathed life into you, the, same, the very same one who created everything, he stepped into his existence, he condescended his own creation, he put on flesh, he lived as a poor baby in a manger that grew up in obscurity. He, the, the, the one who created everything 2,000 years ago, listen to this, never published a book, didn't have a platform. He died with 11 friends because his best friend uh, betrayed him, and yet he is the most influential person who has ever existed in human history. Think about that for just a second. It just doesn't make sense unless it's real. In the beginning was the word, was reason, was logic, this thing that we're going to walk through over the next couple weeks is reasonable when you peel back the layers and you see the logic of what he's saying. Listen to it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is so important for where we're going that I want this to sit for just a second. This Word, this reason, this, this person, this thing, he was God. There's something beautiful going on here that John just doesn't want you to walk beyond. He wants to blow your mind with the fact that when he speaks, it's a person. That word logos, it's in the imperfect tense in Greek. It's, it's there to show you that it doesn't have a beginning and it's continual. God continues to speak. That Jesus stands outside of time. He spoke then, he speaks now, and he speaks forever. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, it's the most helpful picture I've ever seen of this. C.S. Lewis says that God, he can speak at all times, at any time, because he's like, if you thought about, if you thought about paper, or if you thought about time as linear on a sheet of paper, so you have like 1900, 1910, you know, so forth. He says that God can be in all places at all time because he's not on the paper. 
He's off the paper, and he's looking down on time, if you will, which means that he can be sovereign over all places at all times. Here's why that matters. The same God who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago sees you right now. See, he knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you're going through. You have to understand this. The one who was in the beginning didn't enter into humanity ignorantly. He knew what he was entering into. He was sovereign over everything, and he knew you then. So when Jesus stepped foot on the the pages of history, he had you in mind. Let that sink in for a second. Like A.W. Tozer said, I love this. He says, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. I want you to see how big God is. Because if you see God for who he is and the other things in your life that, listen to me, they are big deals. They They tend to become smaller issues because you see that God is sovereign over it all. That's why all of us need the Christmas story. We need to see that God is bigger than our biggest problems. We need to know that God speaks and everything changes. Do you know that? Do you know that the same God who spoke the galaxies into existence is the same God that spoke and the winds obeyed his voice, the blind were healed, the sick were made well, demons obeyed him, and listen to me, he can speak into your situation now and he can change it if he wants to at any time. The same voice that brought the galaxies into existence is the same one that says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That's the same God. The words that spoke life into existence is a person. It's the most logical, reasonable thing, and he embodied himself so that he could love you. Y'all, Advent isn't about a cute little story and a baby in a manger. It's about an all-powerful creator recreating the world and fixing the mess that we have made. I want you to see him for who he is so that you can worship him in the hard times. In the good times, I want you to feel and experience his power so that you can have confidence that whatever you're going through, he's not just a God who sees you, he's a God who knows you. Trevin Wax, he just wrote a book called The Thrill of Orthodoxy, and listen to what he says. He says, the church faces her biggest challenges not when new errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. See, the problem is, oftentimes we get beyond the gospel. We get to a place where this just becomes normal. I love this. Tim Keller says the gospel is not just the diving board into Christianity, but it's a pool that you continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper into. You continue to go back to the beginning. My biggest fear sometimes as a pastor is that we will grow up beyond the beauty of the gospel, that these stories will just become normal. I don't ever want that to happen. I don't ever want your mind to be blown by how amazing the miracle of Christmas actually is. I want the song of your heart to always be amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieves. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. What if that's what your life continually felt like? It wasn't just the hour you first believed, but it was the continuation of your life because Christmas is the gift that never stops being precious to you. God himself, in the beginning, that created the heavens and the earth, is the same God who's going to recreate the world and to fix the mess that we are in. That's John's point. Jesus is the fulfillment of what was always meant to be. 
Y'all, if you're new around here, I've done this before. This book right here, even if you don't believe in the Bible, is the most amazing piece of literature ever written because it's 66 books written by 40 different authors telling one complete story over thousands of years. Think about it. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created. The only thing that he created that he said was very good was when he breathed life into people. It says that you and I were supposed to live in perfect harmony with him forever and ever and ever. If you actually go to the book of Revelation, in Gen- Revelation 21 and 22, what you see is it looks exactly like Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You and God in perfect harmony where he says he will wipe away every tear from your eye and death will be no more. He will be your God and you will be his people. The exact way it was always meant to be. See, the Bible is one complete narrative telling one arc of history where God is going to redeem that which we had broken. Genesis chapter 3 comes along. Adam and Eve, this is what sin is. Adam and Eve essentially look at God and say, we don't need you anymore. We got this, bro. You can, you can chill out. It's essentially what my nine-year-old daughter says to me every single day of her life. I got this. I know better than you. You get out. Every day, you and I do the same thing in little ways to God. And yet the rest of this Old Testament, the thing that you and I don't really understand often because we skip right over it, is a love story about a God who's redeeming his people, calling a people to himself. It's a story where he sets up laws for these people so that they can understand how living rightly matters. It's a story where they get themselves in slavery, but God made a promise to a man named Abraham that he would have a son who would be the heir of the world. And then you see it through Isaac and Jacob, his sons, then Joseph redeeming his people, then judges and prophets over and over and over again. And God tells his people that he wants to be in relationship with them. So you get to the very last page of the Old Testament. In the very last page of the Old Testament to the very first page of the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And then God speaks. See how powerful it is. But he doesn't speak the way that you would think he would. He doesn't look at you and I and say, do more or try harder. He says, I will no longer pursue you. He says, I will put on flesh and do what you never could do in your place. So that, so that I can pay the punishment, the penalty that separated you and I, I will live your perfect life, I will die your death, I will raise from the dead in order to accomplish that which you never could, in order to unite us back to each other, and then I will come back one day and I will fix the mess of this world. The Christmas story is the most incredible story of redemption ever told. And the ultimate advent is not thinking about the coming of Jesus on Christmas. It's remembering that ultimately God is going to come back and he's going to fix this world and all of his brokenness. By the way, that's why you know it's true. That's why in your heart you long for something more. Like C.S. Lewis said, if I desire in myself something which, let me read that again. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Y'all, you were made for another world, a complete world that's not broken. You were made to be with God, and Christmas is a reminder that that is going to happen. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Y'all, this God that we worship isn't just like a person like you and I. He is the creator of everything that has ever existed. Like I said earlier, he spoke and the stars came into existence. Do you know how incredible that is? 
Artemis 1, the fastest rocket ever, is going to take between 8 and 14 days to hit the lunar surface, and God spoke, and billions of stars came into existence. Albert Einstein said that he believed that we've only seen one billionth of the universe, and that there are over 200 billion trillion stars in the sky. I don't even know what that means. It's incomprehensible. And the fact is that the God who created all of those things became small so that he could bend your heart to worship. See, because here's the deal. God didn't just create the stars in the sky. He created every hair on your head. He knew you in your mother's womb, and he knows you intimately. The God that knows everything, the God who created all, is in control of all. Do you get that? Do you get that God didn't just become a man because he had to? He became a man because he wanted to, because he wanted to redeem you. The book of Hebrews says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Have you ever thought about what the joy is that was set before Jesus? It's you. God himself endured the cross to redeem you. Wrap your mind around this. The God who's so big that created everything isn't too big to be known by you. And the God who became small so that you can be known by him isn't so small that he can't take care of your biggest problems. You need to understand that. You need to understand that so you can worship Jesus, so you can sit in anticipation because some of you need hope. The Christmas story is the greatest gift ever. It's a gift of hope because God himself entered in. God became a man. He became a man so that he could communicate with you. That word, that logos, the, the speaking, the one who calmed the seas, the one who, who, who spoke in galaxies came into existence. Do you know how he speaks today? Right here. Think about how powerful that is. God spoke into this thing. Paul says that it's the very breath of life. You ever notice that whenever Jesus raises from the dead, he comes to his disciples, you know the first thing he did was he breathed on them. It's kind of weird, but what he's doing is he was breathing life back into them. He breathed on this word, as Paul told Timothy. And when you grab onto this, listen, God speaks to you. He didn't just leave you, nor did he forsake you. He didn't just die 2,000 years ago. The point is he wants to continually communicate to you in every way. This is why John can say in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's something really amazing going on here. He wants you to know that Jesus is the source of all life. You know why that matters so much? I, I know it might be Captain Obvious, but... Life is not found in anything but Jesus, and yet for all of us, we tend continue to reach out to things to give us fulfillment in life, and Jesus is saying, I am the life. He says, come to me, and I will make you alive again. Let me ask you a question. When, when Adam and Eve, if you're not new to Christianity, when they sinned in Genesis 3, the punishment was that they would die. Did they, did they die? Well, the answer to that is yes and yes. They died physically. We not, not immediately, but they died physically, and they died spiritually. See, that's the point of the story that most of us get is immediately their relationship, their source of life, it, it died. It was split. Let, let me teach you something here that the Bible teaches. Here, here it is. If you are born once, the Bible would say, and I'll explain this, you'll die twice. If you were born twice, you'll die once. John, Jesus will go on to have a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, and he'll, ta- he'll ask him, how am I born again? Well, you're born again through the source of all life, which is Jesus. Jesus came so that you could be born again. 
It, it, that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's so that you can be born twice. See, all of us are born once. All of us are. We're born the day that we're born. And yet, the Bible says that you and I were born into this corruption that, that actually makes our hearts die. And yet, if you, if you find your faith in Jesus, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that you are a new creation. You are born again. And because you're born again, you never have to die. You see, the, the reality is, and I'm going to show you this in just a second, is Jesus gives you hope now, too. It's not just some future place that you go, but he wants to give you a life now. In Christ, you become alive, both spiritually and physically, so that the moment that you die, he gives you a new life that is met with a spiritual life that came alive the moment you believed. But if you are born once, you will die twice, according to the Bible. You'll die physically, and you'll die spiritually. The Christmas story is that that doesn't have to happen that you can be reborn in him. It's an invitation to have life in him. He is the true source of life. He's the best explanation of all of life. Y'all, do you know what the leading explanation for life is based on modern secular technology? Let me explain it to you. Millions of years ago, some things came out of nowhere and collided and something spontaneously happened, and a bunch of molecules started to gather together because they randomly mutated and collided until you had, you had this thing that came about, and that became a species, and that species evolved, and it became another species, and it became another one, and then you had survival of the fittest through Darwinian evolution where one of them died off, and, and then you emerged. Congratulations. It's, it's like the watch and the watchmaker example, if you've ever heard it. Like, if you came up to me, and you had your fancy Garmin watch on, and you showed it to me, I would look at you and i say, I can tell you how that was made. Millions of years ago, a bunch of rocks started clashing against one another. And little by little, they started forming this little black strip. And over time, it, it evolved into something, and then all of a sudden, you can run 13 miles because your Garmin watch came about. You, you know what she'd say to me? That's stupid. And yet, and yet... It's the leading theory of the existence of man. Listen to me. It takes faith to believe that. All of us believe something by faith. This idea of macroevolution has a, has a leap of faith just as much. And I just want you to hear me say, I think it takes less faith to believe that a man rose from the dead than you just miraculously came about out of nothing. I, I, think, I think that you are more than just a random chance of, of mutations that happen over millions of years. I think you're more than just you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. I'm not going to finish that. And if you need the rest, Pastor Clayton will be in the next steps area, and he'd love to tell you what the rest of that song sings. You aren't just an evolutionary theory. And I, I know we laugh at that, but that's what they say you are. You're more than that. You're so much more than that. You matter. Your life matters. Everything about you matters. You know, it, it, it's actually more reasonable, and we have better evidence to support that a man actually rose from the dead than we do that you just came about out of nothing. Seriously, when you think about it, what takes more faith? I just want you to know the reason why you feel like your life matters is because it does. You are intentionally made, and you have extreme value. You got so much value that God who created you would enter into existence to sacrifice his one and only son to redeem your life. Don't tell me you don't matter. The reality is the watch has a watchmaker, has a designer, and so do you.
Listen, you, you are so much more complex than this silly watch that I wear on my wrist. You are so much more value than that. And if you believe that this takes a maker, why is it such a stretch to believe that you took a maker? In him was life. And he is the light of men. You ever thought about what light does? Let me give you a few things. Number one, light brings life. Nothing, nothing grows without light. Think about that. If you want to grow a plant or a vegetable, you can go back to third grade science. and They'll tell you it takes photosynthesis. It takes light in order for plants to grow. The sun brings light to our life to our physical world, right? Without the sun, you and I would literally freeze to death. And the picture there is the sun is the greatest source of physical life, and yet it's supposed to be a signpost to the S-O-N, who is the greatest source of your spiritual life. And, and, and here's why that's so important. Just like it takes the sun outside to bring nourishment to your body, it takes the sun inside to bring joy and life to your souls. And if you live with the darkness of your souls, what will end up happening is you'll end up dying little by little by little. Matter of fact, you won't, you won't have a heartbroken soul, you'll become unbreakable. You'll become hardened. You'll become concrete. See, this is what sin does. It slowly convinces you because you're shame. You need to run and hide. If you ever go back to the narrative of Adam and Eve, what's the very first thing they did? Once they realized they were naked, they were naked in a shame and they hid. Do you know what God did? Martin Luther called this the proto-euangelion, the very first essence of the gospel. God killed an animal. I, I, I imagine he made a, a tomahawk steak medium rare because it's the only way you eat them. And he fried it up, they ate it together, and then he took the animal's clothes and he clothed them. He took their shame, their nakedness, and he clothed them. It's the very first picture of the gospel that God still loved you even after you messed up. And he would give you more life. Can I just tell you, if you know somebody right now, maybe somebody in this room that's, that's isolating themselves, that are walking away, you haven't seen them in a while, that might be the very first sign that they are walking in darkness and shame. And what you need to do is you need to remind them that community matters because you don't have to feel shame here anymore, that God wants to give you life. He wants to pierce through your darkness so that you can find healing for your soul, which leads to number two. Number two is light brings truth. Think about it. It illuminates and it reveals what's hidden, right? When you're driving down the road at night, what do you have? You have lights on your car, lights on the road, reflectors on the ground so that you can see the things that you normally wouldn't be able to see. It's a good thing. But it's not always easy. Have you ever been in a cave or a pitch black room and then somebody turned on the lights? Have you ever been asleep, like, like really asleep? Not like you have four kids and you never get good sleep sleep, but like real sleep, right? And then somebody turns on the light, you, the first thing you do is you cringe, right? It hurts a little bit. What naturally happens when light pierces through and reveals the truth is you naturally, you naturally hide a little bit until, until your eyes start to adjust to reality. Listen, this is so important because what you need to understand is all of our first, all of our first response to Jesus is always going to be a little bit of like it hurts because it's a piercing light into the recesses of your souls. And I want you to hear me say, though, if you will sit in that for just a second and not retreat back into the darkness, what ends up happening is reality becomes a little more clear, a little more clear. Listen, guys, we need to be a place where it is okay to not be okay. 
where you can walk into this place and it's a safe space. You can take your mask off and you can walk into this door because we are all broken people and Jesus came to heal the sick, not those who are perfect. And if you, if you think, oh, there's just a bunch of hypocrites, you're right, we are. But that's what God wants for all of us is to be here together. The biggest lie you can ever buy into is concealing your sin is best. You know, Jesus actually says the number one marker for knowing that you're a Christ follower is that you are bearing with the fruit of repentance. It's not anything, it's not a cleaned up life. It's that you're continually repenting because you're walking in the light. Write this down, or 2023, almost. You can take a picture of it. If you cover your sin, Jesus will reveal them in the judgment. If you expose your sin, Jesus will cover them with his grace. That's the promise of the gospel, that light brings truth to our lives. It, it exposes our reality, and then he covers you with his grace. You know, my, my five-year-old son, um, he goes to sleep in the brightest room I've ever seen. Like, I kid you not, we got a lamp over here, a light on. He's got bunk beds, so he's got Christmas lights streamed above the top of his bunk bed. Like, I don't even know how he sleeps. And one day I asked him, I said, buddy, why do you, why do you sleep with the lights on? You know what he said? Because I'm scared. You know what he knows intuitively? Same thing you and I know. The way you get rid of darkness is not by running from it. It's by exposing light to it. Think about that. The world is dark. Right? Anyway, sin is corrupting us. And, and yet, if you try to run from darkness, but you're never going to outrun it. It just doesn't work. But if you will introduce light into the darkness, what will end up happening is evil will run from you. Jesus is the light that drives out the darkness, and Christmas is the hope that you and I can have, that if, you, if you're walking in the darkness of your life, listen, Jesus wants you to walk with him, and what will end up happening is joy tends to emerge little by little. Like, don't you long for the day that kids don't get sick anymore, that there's no more gun violence, that, that the hurt that you feel in your heart doesn't lead to anxiety or depression. Don't you long for that day like, walking with Jesus is the way to begin to walk in that freedom. But I'm just telling you, it's like walking in a dark cave. It, it, it feels like you can't even see your hand in front of your face sometimes. And yet that little glimmer of light that you see off in the distance is the hope that as you walk towards it begins to come into focus and carves out a path of joy in your life. Christmas is about freedom. It's about coming out of that cave. It's the hope that you and I all need. It's about God bringing light to the secret places of your, of your soul so that he can make you come alive again. It's the power to drive out the darkness, and his name is Jesus. Number three, light brings beauty. If you know the Bible, in the Old Testament, God's a bit foggy. And yet, when the light of the world comes, Jesus, he brings beauty and clarity to who God is. You see his redemptive plan more fully, don't you? You know how you know that light brings beauty and joy? All of us hate daylight savings. All of us. You know why? You don't like to wake up in the middle of the night and eat dinner at night, right? You, you, you like to be outside. Did you know that, that states that have more darkness have higher levels of depression and anxiety? You know why that is? There's something beautiful about a nice sunny day about going outside and just being out in the warmth of the day. Jesus is like a nice sunny day that brings beauty to your life and joy to everything else around you. Like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
Jesus is the final resting place. He is the final joy. He even says it this way in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm just telling you. The longer I'm alive, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I know this to be true. I know that might be some existential feeling, but the reality is is I've walked with Jesus and I've walked in darkness and my life is a whole lot better now. I have more joy. I'm happier. I don't get upset about things. I have a perspective that goes beyond anything that I ever had and there's just practical wisdom in knowing this. Walking with Jesus gives you a peace and people that tend to have it tend to have longer and happier lives. Think about it. If you stay with your spouse and you're committed to them, if you don't hate people, if you don't covet stuff, if you're content with the things that you have and you have a vision for a world that's larger than yourself, you tend to have more joy and you tend to have abundant joy. Here's what Jesus is. He is life and he's light. He's a light that brings truth to your darkness, that brings life to your souls, that brings beauty to your lives. You know what my my life verse is? It's Psalm 119, 105. I, I encourage you to memorize it. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, if we were in a dark cave, if we cut out all the lights in here, and I just put a light down at my feet, do you know what you see? Your next step. Think about that. You see, if God just showed you the whole picture, you would never have faith, and yet, every step that I take with Jesus, because his light illuminates my life, I don't know that there might be a cliff here, but as I walk, I see it, and then I turn. See, Jesus is a lamp to my feet, which lights my path. And walking with him, Walking with him is the greatest joy that you'll ever have because he brings safety and security to your life. That's what Christmas offers you. A safety of knowing that the one who created everything is the one who is guiding your life. And a security of knowing that the one who died in your place could never punish you because he has already paid the penalty for your life. That's the gospel. Because Jesus lived your perfect life and died your death, he has already made a way for freedom and you can walk with him and find life now. Verse 5. The light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you have your Bible, look down at verses 4 and 5, and here's what I love about that. It's the verb tenses. I want you to notice them. He says, Jesus was the life in the light of men. That's past tense. And then he says, light shines in the darkness. That's present tense. And now here's the other one. He says, darkness has not overcome it. That's actually in the continual tense. The present perfect tense, which means it has not, it is not, and it will not overcome it. You know, some translations say that darkness cannot comprehend it or lay hold of it. Right? This, is, this is the hope of the gospel because it changes our reality. It's that Jesus brings our life into focus because of what he did, what he's doing, and what he will do. Have you ever heard of um, the melodic line in music? The melodic line is when, when the harmonies and the melodies come together perfectly and instruments complement one another. Most of us don't know how to explain it, but we know it when we hear it, right? Like when, when Zach and Katie are singing together and it just comes together in this perfect reality, something beautiful happens, right? There was this one time when I was worshiping and I'm caught up in it. Like they're hitting the line and I'm like, yes. Like yeah, there's a freedom that happens in your soul. And, and, and all of a sudden I started hearing this voice creep in that was just off key. Right? We all, we've all heard that voice, and I'm getting a little frustrated because I, I, can't, I can't sometimes divorce myself from like being the guy who's always critiquing everything and the guy who's worshiping. 
Well, I'm sitting here and I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting, my mind's getting off it. All I can think about is like, I got to talk to them about the person who's off key because it's ruining everything. And I start hearing this voice more and more and I start to realize, oh crap, they never turned off my mic. It's me coming through, right? And that's the scariest moment of my life. And yet, and yet it ruined all of it because the line was off for me. You know, walking with Jesus is like when you hit the melodic line. There's a harmony and a melody of walking with him. There's a life that when it's, when it's there together, when you're walking in his word and he's walking with you, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's beautiful, isn't it? It's the, perfect, it's the perfect mix of the two. And yet, yet for many of us, for many of us, we're not hitting it. There's something off key to our lives. The, the harmony, the melody, they're, not, they're just not hitting one another because we're adding something to it. So, so maybe for you, you, you feel these, this level of emptiness and dissatisfaction and, and you wonder if you'll ever be good enough or, or pretty enough or you fill in the blanks and it's probably because you're adding to the story that's already perfect. And Jesus says, you are enough just the way you are because I made you, I died for you and I came to give you life. Listen, Jesus has already done everything necessary to save you. That's past tense. Paul says that he did that while you and I were yet sinners. You, 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 have, you have this tendency to want to prove yourself, and he says you don't have to do that. He already accepts you. When he sees you, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness in your place because it's finished. He didn't say try harder. He said it is done. Not only that, not only past tense, Jesus offers you to be a light that shines into your darkness now. For many of you, you've been taught all your life that you have to wait till one day whenever he rescues and redeems you. And yet the gospel says that you can be a new creation now, that he can bring joy. He can bring you onto this melodic line now. The Christmas story isn't just an offer of future hope. It is an offer of a present reality where Jesus comes to live with you and transform your heart now. It's an opportunity for you to have joy right now. For you to look into your circumstances and know that there's a God bigger than your circumstances that there's a God who loves you. I tell you this all the time. He proved his love for you by the cross, and he proved his power over your life by the resurrection. Your identity is not found in stuff. It's found in him, and when you can get that, there's something freeing about it. And there's a hope for the future that one day he really will come and wipe away every tear from your eyes. He will fix the brokenness of this world. He will make it right again. You can trust the future because of what he did in the past, which changed the way you live now. Martin Luther King Jr., maybe in his most famous quote, listen to what he says. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only, hope, only light can do that. See, if you walk with Jesus, darkness doesn't go away in this world, and yet, and yet it goes away in your heart. Jesus offers you. He offers you a light that will continually purify your life and help you walk in freedom. Shame wants you to hide in the dark. But that's exactly where death and decay happens. Jesus wants you to walk in the light. Y'all, the Christmas story is the most amazing story ever told. And it's not just amazing because it's a story. It's amazing because it's true. Like I said earlier, I know. I know it takes faith. But every one of us puts our faith in something. My question for you is, is your faith worth living for? Is what you're putting your faith in more reasonable than this? Like C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun that is risen. Not only because I see it, but because 
by it, I see everything else. You know, Jesus is like the sun that not only brings reality to your life, but by him, you can actually see everything else. You know this guy, this guy C.S. Lewis, he was, um, before he was a Christian, he was an Oxford professor in English, and he was a pretty radical skeptic atheist. He had another friend, um, this kind of popular guy, a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. Uh, he was a Christian, and he came to Tolkien, or he came to Lewis, and he says, you know what Christianity is? He says it's the greatest myth ever told because it's the only true mythology. He, he, he said, Lewis, what you need to understand is the reason why you feel the way that you do is because it's real. The reason why every boy grows up to be a superhero, the reason why every girl wants the perfect wedding, the reason why you know what's right and wrong, the reason why there have been religions that have existed since the beginning of time, the reason why you long for something more is because Christianity actually is true. Because Jesus really is who he said that he is, and he really did what he said that he did. Tolkien said, what you have to understand is all of those things happen inside of your heart because your heart longs for something more. It is a myth. And yet it's a good, true myth. It's the one that all other myths point to. It's the one that your heart longs for. Y'all, he is the light of the world. He's the beginning of all reality. And he came to give you life. So over the next couple weeks, this Advent series, what we're doing is we're preparing our hearts to see the bigness and the fullness of God. Because until you see him for who he is, you'll never worship him for how he deserves to be worshiped. For some of you, you need to respond. Some of you need to respond by literally freeing yourself to worship. Like you're holding back. You just need to let go. For others of you, maybe today you walked in here skeptic. And you need to respond by, by receiving the gift that God has already purchased for you. I know, I know it's easy for me to sit up here and say it, but I want you to hear me say it, it will change your life. Matter of fact, we're going to have a baptism class right after this gathering. And I just want you, like, if you feel like God might be speaking to you, maybe it's time for you to respond publicly by saying, I'm going to take my step of going all in, and I'm going to walk by faith, and I'm going to get baptized to show everybody that my allegiance is to the one who gave it, who gave it all for all of us, no matter where you are in this process. What I want to challenge you to do is ask yourself, is there anything more reasonable put your faith in than the God who created all loving you so much that he would die in your place. He would come to life to give you life. That's who we worship. That's what Christmas is. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help our faith. That our unbelief would become belief. That our worship would become real. That our problems would dissipate in the presence of a beautiful big God. It doesn't mean that our problems don't exist, but it does mean that you are in control of them and you know exactly what you're doing. Lord Jesus, thank you that in the beginning, you were the word. Thank you that in the beginning, you put on flesh. You lived our perfect life. That you are true, that you are good, and that you are kind. Help us to worship you, I pray. In Jesus' name.